altar, minister of heavenly grace, sustain us while here living until we see your face. Preserve in wave and tempest, storm tossed little flock, wind and weather may the helm upon the text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson which is read to you earlier Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The abomination of desolation. It is not exactly the easiest of texts to read. It's one of those texts that reminds us when we say the gospel, this is the gospel of the Lord, we mean it, it, we're using the definition of just referring to the books of the, the gospel books of the Bible, not the forgiveness of sins necessarily, because it is a very law-heavy gospel. It destroys the whole idea that the Old Testament is law and the, the New Testament is all gospel. This one is very much law. In fact, it's a text that is a church we like to avoid. Because we would prefer to hear a much different message. And to show just kind of an idea as to what kind of messages that people want to hear. Listen, here's a quote of some preachers. It's God's will for us for you to live in prosperity instead of poverty. It's God's will for you to pay your bills and not be in debt. The same preacher says, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill, fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. You're, hopefully you're hearing a problem there, that God wants you to have a lot of money. The person who preached that way his average church attendance is 43,500 people every single week. That is Joel Osteen. Another one says, you can have what you say. In fact, what you are saying is exactly what you are getting now. That is Kenneth Copeland. This is a part of a theology that's in the church that says that if you name it, you can claim it. So if you, name, you say to God, God, I, I, did, I claim that I'm going to have a very nice car, and if you believe the right way or give enough money to the right preacher, you will have it. That's the teaching. Here's another one that says, so the principle here is if I take for myself when it's time to give to the kingdom, I can bring a curse on myself. You will die. You will die unless you go to the phone and do what God says to do. 
Don't just listen to the word of the Lord. You've got to do the word of the Lord. You will die. You will die unless you go to the phone and do what God says to do. That is Paula White. Her church averages 2,000 people a week. Another one. He says, I want the privilege of praying over your seed, which seed in his language means offering. I want to pray over your seed, and it would be ridiculous for me to pray that God give, to, give it back to you. Because if all he was going to do was give it back to you, you ought to keep it, and then you would just have it. That's ridiculous. You got $100 or $1,000 and even, you could have kept that, or, and you're going to give $1,000. And I tell you, God is going to give $1,000 back. Well, you just broke even. You could have kept the $1,000 and not gone through the trouble. Come on, church folk. But God is going to give you more, some more on top of that. That is T.D. Jakes. His church averages 16,140 people a week. Creflo Dollar. His name should give a little red flag to everyone. But... The pastor's name is Creflo Dollar. He says, Jesus bled and died for us so that we can lay claim to the promise of financial prosperity. 15,000 people a week at his church. Rod Parsley is another one has similar statements. He averages 10,000 people a week at his church. Another one says... She says, you got a storage bin, a storage locker in heaven. There's a lot of stuff in it that needs to be claimed. And the same pastor says that you are all little gods. That is Joyce Meyer. She averages about 5,000 people a week in her church. By the way, I think if you add that all up, we're pretty close to the population of Sioux Falls. That is what the preaching that if you could get money, if you have the right attitude, just give a little bit of money in the offering plate, God is going to give you all of you want. The problem is, is that is a lie. Because right here, this text, this is what Jesus says. And might tell you why he only has a church of 12 at this point. And, you know, a few women. But he says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. He's telling of a time when things are going to get really, really bad. He's talking about a war. Now there are some that will try to say that this is something that already happened. But Jesus says that it will be such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. He's talking about a war that will break out. 
Now, some of, some of us may have had that experience of fighting in combat in Vietnam or Afghanistan or Iraq, Korea, whatever it may be. But none of us knows what it's like to have a war right on our front step. We don't know what it's like to see a war break out that is so bad Jesus is saying this is so bad that you've got to flee to the mountains. Which here, I don't know where we flee to. Closest thing we got is Ocheedon Mound. Otherwise, we're going to have to cut, we're going to have to cut across Nebraska. I don't know where we go to. And actually, that should kind of give us a little uneasiness. Where do we go when this happens? We're not exactly in a wooded population. We can't even say, let's go to the forest. We don't have much of that in this part of the country. He says, do not even stop to get the stuff in your house. Just run. Flee. If you're out in the field, so if you're out in the tractor or in the combine and it happens to be harvest season, and when this happens, just get out of the tractor. If you left your coat, in the, if you left your coat at home, don't worry about it. Run. That is how bad it's going to be. And that is a consequence of our sin. This is what sin will wreck upon this world. This is the fulfillment of a sin-fallen world. And it should not be hard to see how this can happen. On Tuesday... In case you do not know, there's an election going on in this country. And if you've been paying attention to this election, you've seen the lack of civility amongst our candidates. I mean, think about it. Look at the ads. How many of our ads are actually about the candidate and not about how you should not, how majority of them are basically either we got to make sure Hillary does not become president. Or we got to make sure Donald Trump does not become president. Very few of them are, we've got to make sure that Donald Trump becomes president. Or we got to make sure Hillary Clinton becomes president. It's all about why we shouldn't vote for the other, and not about why we should vote for the person. You look at the debates, especially that second debate, the way that they're they're being bitter and nasty towards one another. I almost felt like a kindergarten teacher should have come out and taken them by the ears and said, you're going to go sit in the corner and think about the way you're talking to one another. The way they were, but the thing is, is they were acting. That's how we very often act with one another. That's how our presidential candidates are acting it is much worse amongst many people. We live in a country that is so horribly divided. Not just between Democrat and Republican, but Republicans are divided against Republicans. Democrats are divided against Democrats. Independents are divided against Independents. Libertarians are divided against Libertarians. When you see what's going on in this world, you see that, some, that 
Donald Trump had to get rushed off the stage last night because of a violent incident. It is not hard to see how this world can get as bad as Jesus is saying it's going to come. Because the sinful nature that leads to that is in every one of us. The worst things that happen in this world, we think we so easily want to think so small of our sin. Think it's just a little white lie. It's just one little thought. But all it takes is just one moment. One little thought and it begins trickling down and building like a snowball until it becomes something worse. This is what has led to the destruction of our world. That's why at this time, harvest season, at the very depth of fall before the, the snow has really fallen, some years, this year happens to be one of those years, that we focus on the end of the year, on the end of the of the eschaton, the end of all things. Because you look around the world, you look in the fields, it's gray, it's brown. You look at the trees, once the leaves have fallen off, it's just gray. Everything looks like it's dead, it's dying. It's a reminder that, not, that everything in this world Ourselves and the earth itself is dying as a result of our sin. Jesus says, he actually goes on past this text. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's kind of a shift all of a sudden there. Kind of. For those who believe, there's an incredible shift of joy. For those who do not have faith, the reason there's mourning is because when Jesus makes that return, he is not giving them a second chance. Their time will be up. And condemnation, hell, will be their destination. That's why there is mourning. When we see Christ come, there will be rejoicing. We mourn for the ones who will be lost, but we will rejoice that Christ has come. And see, the thing is, Jesus gives the warning of many false Christs. There will be many that come. Those preachers that I mentioned, they're not, I wouldn't call them false Christ, but most of them are false prophets because most of them will try to claim prophecies. But the thing is, is we as a people, 
can be so easily led astray by the false Christ that Jesus warns against. Why? Because we don't know our Bible. There was a study a few years ago where they compared to see which group of people, which religious or faith group or whatever you want to call it, knew their Bible the best. And they found that atheists, on average, know their Bible better than anybody. So your average Christian knows your, their Bible less than the average atheist. And should we be surprised when our average Bible class, sometimes we have only two people here? Bible class is very rarely attended for many. How are we going to learn the Bible if we're not actually taking time to learn it? That is the reason why the false Christ will come and they'll show they'll be able to say, hey, I'm Jesus, I am the Christ. I've come back. And though because we don't know the word, we'll fall for it. And the late and the falling for it is not just, oh, they're just listening to a different person, at least they're happy. No, it leads to their destruction. It is a big deal. But all you'd have to look at the Bible, right in this text, should give you a very obvious clue how to tell. If somebody ever says they're a Christ, so if you have a, you know, a David Koresh type, or the Jonestown types, or the ones that are less obvious, it's very easy because Jesus said, it's going to be like a lightning flashing in the sky. You know those really bright lightnings that no matter where you're in the house, you're going to see it in the window, coming through the windows? And if you didn't see it, it's going to, that thunder is going to come after it. It's going to be so loud. Your house is shaking. We're in Northwest Iowa. I know we've experienced that. That's how Jesus is coming. There's not going to be any question. We're not going to be like, you know, I'm not sure if it's him. We're going to be like, yep, it's definitely him. Even the most ardent atheist is going to know it's Jesus. They won't like him, but they're going to know it's him. And that's what the Bible tells us. And when he comes, when he comes for us, it's to take us to glory. It's to take us to his eternal kingdom. See, as we get ready for this election, there's a lot of doomsday theorists saying if this candidate gets elected or that candidate gets elected, then the world is going to fall to pieces. And you know what? Maybe you're right, maybe you're not. You know what I do know is right? This is what Jesus says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. His word when you're baptized, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In baptism, he, in baptism, he is saying, you are my child. You are an heir of paradise. By the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, 
You are made a citizen of his eternal kingdom. Yes, we are temporarily a citizen of the United States of America. But ultimately, our everlasting citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. With God as our king, a, God, a king who will never let us down, who is not corrupt, who will guarantee his promises are always kept true. In case you haven't noticed, candidates don't keep their promises. Our king of kings always does. He promised way, way back in the garden that the offspring of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. He kept that promise. He promised that he would be crucified. It happened. He promised that he would rise from the dead. He did. He promises that in the waters of baptism, you are clothed with his righteousness. It happens. He promises that when you hear in the absolution, your sins are forgiven. It happens. He promises that when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, for your forgiveness, it happens. It is so. And when he says that you will be welcomed into his kingdom where there's no hunger, no thirst, this tribulation that you just heard, it won't last. No tribulation will last. Not even the sickness that we feel in our bodies. Not even an awful election. None of it will last. But God's kingdom and his word will stand forever. And you belong to that kingdom by grace, through faith, as a gift. Until that day comes, take comfort and hope in our coming King. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand as we confess our common faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.